0: My name's Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another special episode of Make Ours Marvel. We like to call the Marvel Mailbag.
1: This is our seventh Make Ours Marvel Mailbag. And we have had a bit of a break since the last one. And although I never feel like we, uh, you know, a podcaster should apologize for not producing episodes, because, uh, you know, it's a free hobby, I do feel like a little bit of explanation's in order. Um, Mike and I like to have a bit of a gap between what we record and what we're putting out there. It's what us in the podcasting biz like to call lead time. And Mm -hmm. we had basically exhausted all of our lead time between me taking trips and him needing days off and whatever. uh, We had run out of all of our cushion. So since it's very important to us to have this be regular and have a new episode out every week, we took some time to build our cushion back up. And that just took a while until we were at a comfortable level. So now that we're at a comfortable level, unless there's like a bunch of unforeseen absences, we're hoping to make this mailbag thing quite a, a normal occasion again, especially because we have a heck of a big mailbag. <laughs> yeah. We're
0: on June. So we're a little behind. Um, and yeah. one of the problem, one of the problems with being a little behind like that is sometimes I have no idea what they're talking about when they write to us anymore, but for we the most part, that's okay. We'll figure it out. I mean, it's unfortunate, like, I really enjoy these kind of episodes that we do. But at the same time, this does get put on the back burner if there's anything else that is in the way. So that's just how it is.
1: Well, um, we did a duel to the death, and I lost. So I end up getting to read the first email. No, just kidding. Oh. <laughs> but uh, I figured I'll just volunteer to read this first one. We can go ahead. from there. Yeah. All right. We got an email from James Holly back on June 5th of... 2019. This was last decade, you guys. Mm -hmm. So it's been that long. Mm -hmm. Wow. He says, I just discovered your podcast a couple of weeks ago. Oh, he addresses it to Michael and John, John and Michael. I'm not Mm. sure who John, John is, but I'm glad he mentions you twice. Yeah. He says, I discovered your podcast. I've started from the beginning. I'm on episode 17. I do believe I'm around the same ages as you two. Like John, I'm a fan of the man spider. I stopped collecting right before the Clone Saga. It was so bad. I started again when the first Spider-Man movie came out in 2002. I'm not sure if you guys remember the first teaser for the movie involving the World Trade Center. Do you remember no. that? No. No. Oh, yes.
0: So what's that about?
1: Okay, so Spider-Man's like stopping these, um, I don't know, hijackers or whatever. They, they make a roof escape. And I think they get to a chopper, and as they start swinging, as they start flying, Spider Man starts coming after them. And I'm not sure that you ever actually see Spider Man. I think you get a lot of hints that that's what's going on. And then they get caught in a giant web that is spread between the Twin Towers.
0: Oh, that kind of does sound familiar.
1: And I remember this happening, and I remember it disappearing from the planet after Mm.
0: 9 11. We'll have to see if we can find it on YouTube and post it on this episode. I, I, ha,
1: I have found it on YouTube. So it is out there. Okay. Um, yeah. I'll try yeah,
0: and remember so to remember to do that.
1: All right. He goes on. I do like the summaries and the critiques on each comic book. My favorite was the critique of amazing Spider-Man one. Yes. The rocket story. Isn't the greatest. We do get introduced to Spidey's greatest villain. J Jonah. Jameson. <laughs> 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 yeah, kind of. It's an argument. I did like the insight into John Glenn. I'm still proud of that. I'm sorry. I know it's been mm-hmm. like five years since then, but I, yeah. <laughs> five years. <laughs> uh, he says, and the technical reason behind the delay, it was a great what if story that was not concentrated around superheroes. So it's kind of like, what if, you know, John Glenn, you know, whatever. Uh-huh. I like context like that, but I, that might be my BA in history. So I am weird. I had a professor that wrote a book about comics in the 1945 to 1954 period. Ooh
0: and then book? he didn't tell us what the book was.
1: Yeah. It James. might be one of those limited publication university press things. Still. Yeah. I
0: don't know. If you're listening James, you could uh just throw it at us even if we can't find it. Might be interesting.
1: Right. Speaking of Michael, I'm not sure if you ran across a thesis or dissertation that analyzes Captain America in each decade. It's an interesting read.
0: James. Twice. Send us these things. Two sentences in a row. Hey, there's these really cool things you've never read, but I'm not going to tell you where they
1: are. No.
0: I don't even uh, know what John, the title is.
1: No, I don't. Anyway. Okay, so James, you have homework. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite run on Spider-Man, John? Um, my favorite era of Spider-Man is the, um, hmm, I would say the mid-'80s, early to mid-'80s, leading up to the marriage. When Mm -hmm. the titles had a lot of interoperation between them and yet each series was still distinct, you know, Uh Um, there was, there was a lot of conversations among the writers about keeping things consistent between books. There were a lot of plot lines that were going back and forth between books, but it wasn't like a consistent, it wasn't like a continuous narrative like the Superman books were later. Um, I just feel like there was a really cool cohesion during that time that fell apart just before the marriage.
0: Who was the hobgoblin?
1: Hobgoblin was a big part of that. Yep. Yeah. Cloak good and stuff. dagger was a big part of that. Mm-hmm. Um early cloak and dagger is is the bee's knees. I mean that is some good 80s grunge comics. Um but yeah, so that's my favorite run on Spider-Man. Um he says, I've shared your podcast with two of my friends. Thank you so much. Yeah. I just want to say great work. Hopefully I'll catch up to present episodes soon. Well, maybe he has by now. James, hopefully you're here now listening as to us talk to you.
0: Mm-hmm. And can you please send me that link about the dissertation of Captain America in each yeah. decade? That'd <laughs> be awesome.
1: I would totally and, read that. And the book on comics during the, during the uh, <laughs> what do they call that? The atomic age.
0: Yeah. Uh, so I have episode 60, purple is the new green, Tim Price or no?
1: I actually have another one from. well, he may have written um, a comment. Oh,
0: see, now um, we're going to have a problem here because I'm looking at emails. and. and
1: yes, yes. Yeah, he is, uh, he is June 5th. Yes, I've got it. Okay. Go ahead. Well, it says,
0: wow, I finished writing half of the responses below and realized it sounds much snarkier and negative than I like. Honest. It's all in the name of fun, but proceed at your own risk. Here he is, Hawkeye. I also loved it when Daniel Day-Lewis played him, but boy, that version of the costume was not on model at all. Now, what does he mean by that? I'm sure there's a Daniel Day-Lewis bow and arrow movie, but I don't know what it I'm, is. I'm going to have
1: to search his IMDb. Yeah, I don't know.
0: Okay. You look for that, and I'll keep going. Somewhere after this issue and before Avengers 16, Hawkeye appears in Untold Tales of Spider-Man number 17. That story really played up Hawkeye as being a reluctant villain, but going along with Black Widow for love and not having his heart in it. The Untold... I don't know what this stands for. Untold Tales of Spider-Man series is also good. Probably. I just had to share that. Okay, because I think that was one of the things we were talking about is Hawkeye is just sort of like lovesick and mindless, but it'd be cool if they... Made more Expated stories about more on that, later. that Yeah. Yeah, uh, huh To arrogant archers, overcompensating much. Clint has definitely admitted to that. Not sure if Oliver has. I'm surrounded by gods, and I have a bow and arrow. Of course, I'm going to act confident and cocky. How else can I hold my own? Yeah, I don't know. I don't. It's either that or Marvel and DC like to copy each other.
1: But well, Clint,
0: like, when, he's not the same kind of arrogant as Ollie. They're definitely different people. But
1: Daniel Day Lewis played Hawkeye in The Last of the Mohicans.
0: Oh, okay. There you go. I would I would say Oliver is much more political than um, Clint, but otherwise, the, they do often have the comic relief. Maybe that's just because they're mortal or something. I don't know. Or they have well, boxing think, arrow gloves.
1: Yeah, it was it was an interesting move to whenever you brought Hawkeye in to also take out the heaviest hitters. So you yeah. have you have three people who physically are just not that strong, although they have cool powers, mm-hmm. and so. I, I agree that having Hawkeye standing next to Thor probably would be really intimidating. And later on when that happens, I'm curious to see if they actually use that. Yeah. He kind of
0: hasn't, I mean, he is arrogant. He ha- kind of hasn't been comic relief yet, but that'll happen. Okay. The black widow Hawkeye relationship at this time is exactly the same as enchantress and executioner. Ta- Natasha leads him around by the nose. Did anyone make a couple name for them? Clintasha? <laughs> I like Witteye. That's good. Uh, um,
1: I think um, Budapest. Budapest should be their ship name.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. I never even, like, connected the idea that they're supposed to be lovers in the MCU but aren't. Anyway, um, so the Watcher is the most powerful being in the galaxy, but he can't grow hair, like, at all. I don't care if none of the Watchers have hair. If you to, or Roger are that powerful, they should be able to give themselves some boss hair. Maybe Rocka Van Dyke or something. Does that mean Dude, Watch- you Watcher
1: have- you have not seen Roger the Watcher's hair.
0: That's true. Technically, I mean you Roger have the
1: Watcher has some pretty great hair. I mean, I think the reason the other Watchers don't have hair is because they are like hair envy.
0: No, because here's what I'm thinking, and he even references it. Does that mean he wants to chooses to be bald? Sorry, Captain Picard, he ain't. That's exactly what I'm thinking. In his advanced society, baldness just isn't a thing. Just like TNG, they don't. Sure, they could cure it, but nobody cares.
1: There was some Captain, there's some Star Trek spoof, and it opens up with, it's the 24th century and there's still no cure for boldness.
0: (laughs) Uh, Doctor Strange's powers are so tough to define. When Cuddle Bunch's movie came out, a co-worker asked that question, I said magic, and he reasonably followed with, but what does that mean? He can do anything as long as it rhymes? I know that's not (laughs) accurate, but I thought it's funny, and how is that less accurate than what we have in the comics? Well, that's the problem with magic in general, but... At the same time, a lot of sci-fi and comics comes off as magic too. So, really, what's the difference? I guess. Yeah. To me, it's like if the story really don't go ahead. ahead. I was going to say to me, if the story, a magic story is well written when it establishes what you can and can't do. That's all. Right.
1: And I mean comics. I mean it's open ended, so that's going to vary and fluctuate. But if you have a novel or a movie. Mm -hmm. You establish things. And some of the really best fantasy worlds are the ones that have really well-defined magic systems. Right. Um, But yeah, Doctor Strange, I mean, he can do basically whatever he wants to do.
0: (coughs) Excuse me. Which in some ways is kind of why I like him as a guest character more than a main character. Mm -hmm. Because he'll just show up and do some strange wackadoo. And I'm just like, okay, that's a thing he can do. And then he goes away and I don't have to worry about what he can do next issue. but.
1: It seems like with the Doctor Strange, his magic needs to be less interesting than the story that uses it. Right.
0: Okay, 60 episodes. Woo. Actually, more like almost 100. With 30 comics per omnibus, that's two podcast omnibuses, right? Omnibuses, omnibai, omnibast?
1: Uh, It is just to say it is omnibuses. Uh, Okay. Omnibus is taken from the Latin, and omnibus is already plural in Latin so mm. you would not try to make a Latin plural out of it because it's already a plural word. But okay. in English, it's omnibuses.
0: Dang the English. They messed it up. Uh, until Hawkeye trades his costume for one with a skirt. Make mine, make ours marble.
1: <laughs> I think it looks good in a skirt.
0: It's not a skirt. It's like a flap thing on the front and the back, but his thighs are quite open.
1: I'm pretty sure he has a skirt at one point. Oh, okay. I think he gets like a, an open chest tunic and a skirt. Oh,
0: that, that outfit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a whole thing He had some things, he had a headband at some point, I think
1: Yeah, yeah, there's a headband with that one Okay, so June 6th, Amazing Spider-Man 2? Yep James Hawley again I will keep this short and sweet since I wrote in yesterday I'm not sure anybody wrote in since I am listening since the beginning I just heard the broadcast on Amazing Spider-Man 2 If you want more reference to those nasty aliens Look at Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man 50 and 51 Mysterio shows up with aliens looking for a mobster's money Okay Okay that's when the Mysterio tie to the aliens is revealed. I'm not sure when the Tinkerer is dealt with.
0: Yeah, we still haven't answered that one for my satisfaction, because how is he an alien slash not an alien? Right. Yeah, because he was never an alien to me until I read Amazing Spider-Man number two. And now I don't know what he is. Uh, um, not, not Comic Special 14? Yes. Okay, by Tim Price. Uh, X-Men, The Last Stand. Yet again, I have nothing to add. Okay, that was it. No.
1: All of your <laughs> thoughts
0: and discussions on this movie mirror or were better than my own. And as always, a very fun listen. I enjoy Sarah more and more on this show, so I'm grateful she keeps coming back. And she has been coming back. But I will add two tiny thoughts. Arclight. I don't think this was said, but in the comics, she was one of the marauders introduced in the mutant massacre where that team almost wiped out the Morlocks. So it's crazy ironic for her to be paired with Callisto in X3. I uh, sure.
1: in all the wrong ways.
0: Who is Arclight? I don't even remember. Um,
1: um she was one of Remember how X uh, Last stand had like a zillion um X-Men at the uh, not X-Men but mutant characters at the end. Mhm. Arclight was one of them and I just forget who it was. Okay. Uh
0: I loved you leaving in the excuse me, I'll be right back digressions especially after saying I'll cut that part out on the air too LOL. Exclamation point.
1: Whoops, no, that did was we a do mistake. That? Okay.
0: <laughs> no, that was on purpose. It was a joke.
1: Yeah, I, I I actually did mean to cut that, and then it was published, and I was like, do I want to go back and mess with it? Sure. Yeah. And then I didn't.
0: Mm. Um, it happens, guys. Yeah, it does. We only sound like we're smooth, but you know, sometimes that's editing.
1: We got a Facebook message from Mike Zumo. Okay. Um, from June 7th on the uh, X-Men Last Stand special. Mm-hmm. He says Something I've wondered since X-Men The Last Stand came out is that if the diminished Cyclops role was studio retaliation. Brian Singer left the franchise to do Superman Returns, and James Marsden had a large role in that film. And then to see Cyclops dispatched so quickly here, I've often wondered if this is a schedule conflict or a way to punish James Marsden. Hmm. He had to do the film probably or result in a breach of contract, but the studio wasn't going to give him anything good to do either. Interesting.
0: That is very interesting. Or maybe he chose to not put in a lot of time in that movie or something. Either way, some sort of conflict between DC and Marvel.
1: Yeah. there. I mean, there are definitely possibilities. But the idea that if he left with Singer and they're going to punish him because he abandoned ship, I don't know. I
0: mean, let, let's face it. He didn't have much to do anyway. So he was probably like happy to just be killed off immediately because he never got to be Cyclopsy, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had more... Screen time than three, obviously, but I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, I have uh, June fourteenth, Jay and Miles.
1: Yes, and then I have oh. a response when I get to this one. Oh, to what you? The one you just read? No, no. When you? When after you oh, read it, oh, sorry. Okay.
0: Hey, this is from Catherine Borden. Hey, love your episodes. Just wanted to make a quick note. In your last episode, you were, you referenced a collection of happy moments from Scott that Jay. From Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men had said he had collected. At the time, you used a female pronoun for Jay. Although at the start of the series, Jay is using the name Rachel. He later came out as trans and now fully identifies as male. I'm guessing you're still working through the backlog of their podcast and weren't aware of that fact, but I figured you might want to be aware of that pronoun change to avoid potential internet rage should discussion of their podcasts come up again. Keep up the good work overall. Always enjoy your episodes.
1: Uh, Catherine, I want to say thank you very much for catching that. Um, it was just a pure slip of the tongue. And uh, just to clarify, it is always my goal to identify people the way they wish to be identified. So if Mike or I ever slips on that, it is just one of those in the moment talking and not, you know, always aware of what comes out of our mouth. So, yes. Um Although Jay probably doesn't know I exist. I have a lot of respect for him as a podcaster. Um, you know, since he's such in the public eye, we've all seen his journey and it's been pretty great to watch. And so, yeah, thank you for making sure we are aware because um, we definitely want to be on on the right page for anyone that we might uh, misidentify.
0: Now, what is a collection of happy moments from Scott? Um. I don't know what that means, but there you go. Uh,
1: Scott Must Summers. Have been something. Oh, like like uh, oh, oh, like Scott Summers exactly has a nice day.
0: Yeah. Yes. Uh, collection of artwork. That's what it was. Mm-hmm. I remember. I've seen that now. That's pretty funny stuff. I haven't watched too. I actually okay. haven't listened to many episodes got, of that. Only like three, so I didn't get very far. I guess.
1: You you, sh- you should. It's good stuff. I should. I have I've have listened to quite a number. Yeah. Okay, June fifteenth annuals.
0: Okay. That's earlier than what I have, so you? go for it.
1: Okay. Um, actually, I do have a couple more uh, Facebook comments first real quick. I want to say thank you to Bobby Bermea, who gave us a recommendation on Facebook. These guys take their time and give Silver Age Marvel its due. They hit a great pitch between nostalgia and modern-day sensibilities. They're moving up from Fantastic Four number one through wherever they get to, and I, for one, am hoping they never stop. So thank you very much for that, Bobby. And there's one more. Um, he gave a comment to our episode 62. Oh, it was just a quick uh, quick compliment saying, best Marvel podcast for our era out there. Because I shared the link in the uh, Marvel Comics group, the fan group for 1961 uh, to 1986. And he was commenting on that, recommending it to the group. So thank you very much for the kind words, Bobby. Yeah, thank you. And then you go ahead.
0: I was just saying thank you also.
1: Yes. So you don't have Tim Price's comment, episode 61?
0: No, I don't, I guess.
1: Okay, well, I'll read it then. Okay. Tim says, I had read this Sinister Six story in a Treasury edition when I was a kid. And even with its problems story-wise, it holds up all these years later. The single-page shots of Spider-Man with each villain are amazing. The Sandman one wins the top spot for me. He's so grainy and fluid-looking in that shot. Yowza. I'll say it again. I wish they had posters of those.
0: Yeah, that would have been really cool.
1: Take out the speech balloons. Somebody could mm-hmm. just like fill in, you know, some generic art behind them and still credit Ditko with the art. And, you know, they'd be great posters. Mm-hmm. Maybe you mentioned this, but I had an additional note about the story. Why is Craven in jail at the end? Spidey didn't capture him at the others. He just grabbed the card and left him Kraven for more fight. Get it? Ouch. Get Ouch. It?
0: I'm clutching my chest.
1: <laughs>
0: I don't yeah, remember, I but good that. point. Yeah.
1: Because uh, he um, he doesn't get captured by Spider-Man, but he is in jail at the end. So it's kind of like, how did that happen?
0: Is that... See, Whoops. Someone's shooting fireworks. Did you hear that, kids? Um, is that what leads to his appearance in Iron Man, or was that after that? I can't remember now.
1: Um, I think the Iron Man adventure is set before the annual because okay. I think the idea was that that's where Craven and Chameleon got um, free. Depo- they got deported,
0: right? But At the end of the Craven seconds. story, yeah. yeah. Okay, that's right. You're right. Yeah, because because oh, Craven and Chameleon teamed up, and then they got captured, and then they escaped. Right. And then they went their separate ways. And Craven,
1: Craven went after Spidey, and Chameleon went after Captain America. Right. The cameos by the rest of the Marvel heroes was a hoot. Since I was reading this in a much later treasury, there were even more characters around by then, but it really cemented the idea that in Marvel New York, the heroes were practically tripping over each other. Too fun. No Daredevil or Hulk, though. Hulk was a weird omission, or did I miss his cameo? Was he? I don't think he was in publication at the time.
0: No, that's pretty recent.
1: It was weird that, yeah, and Daredevil, I think, was brand new. Maybe he wasn't around whenever Ditko started drawing the annual.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. You don't know when some of these things were started. And annuals in particular, I imagine, probably take longer.
1: Right. So, I mean, there's, they're not losing their workload in their regular books. So, they're right. probably doing these annuals over the period of several months in the background, especially with oversized stories like FF Annual 1 and Spider-Man Annual 1.
0: Which might be why we were kind of whining about annuals last time we talked about annuals and how they're like never like – Super important. And maybe that's because you can't continue the story in an annual because you started it six months ago and you don't know what the story is going to be.
1: Very true. So it's just
0: some weird one-off thing that just gets in the way of the drama sometimes.
1: He makes another mention of Untold Tales. There was a fun homage to the cameos in Untold Tales of Spider-Man Annual 97. Just sharing. I still haven't read Untold Tales. (laughs) Hmm. My Spider-Man read-through is going to get there eventually. I'm in late 93 right now with my Spider-Man read-through. I've been in late 93 with my Spider-Man read-through for about a year now. I need to get back to that.
0: Bad Spider-Man fan. Come on.
1: I am. Fantastic Four Annual 2 is a first read this time. Wow, that Doctor Doom origin is excellent. The first retelling I had read was John Burns, which had some fascinating tweaks, like showing even more so how Vic- how vain Victor is. He probably thinks that song is about him. <laughs> Which song?
0: You're so vain. Bet you think this song is about you. Oh.
1: But Byrne does not draw kids well, so the early scenes made Victor look more like a teenager. Kirby does much better showing that Victor was just a kid when his dad died, which makes the story all the more powerful. Wonderful stuff. The Okay, so just pause for that for a second. Um, I think the problem with Kirby's kids is that he doesn't know how to do teenagers that well. I mean, he mm. does Johnny all right. Mm-hmm. But, like, think of all those Bucky stories. Yeah. Bucky looks eight the entire time.
0: In the Golden Age or the Silver Age? Both. Either. Yeah. He's definitely younger and golden. And I think they wanted him to be eight, probably to match Robin's weird eightness. But, right. Yeah. I don't know. I think he looks a little better in Tales of Suspense. He looks a little older. uh, But I don't know how much older. He kind of looks like Johnny with brown hair,
1: a little. The idea that an army camp would let an 8 or 10-year-old do anything real is a bit mind-boggling. The idea of letting a 16-year-old tag along to help carry the gear or something is even a bit suspicious, but I can almost see it happening, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, that's the problem with sidekicks in general. And Cap is one of the few Marvel characters who has one or, you know, Mm -hmm. him and any other golden age, lingering golden age character like the Torch or whatever. Right. So Marvel's not really big on them because Stan hated them. For that reason, probably.
1: Um, yeah. I mean, they're weird. They're weird. Tim says the final victory was okay. I'll leave it at that. Who, <laughs> that was a long episode, but these issues marriage the time. Well done, guys. Until Dr. Doom gets ousted from Latveria by Dr. Doom, make mine, make ours Marvel. I think you know what he's talking about there. I think I've read that story. Mm. It's in the 70s. Okay. Um, we thought that our annual coverage was going to go super long on this last round as well ended up going super short. So
0: cause they were just regular sized stories that meant nothing. So not a lot yeah. to talk about. And the
1: Thor one was even shorter.
0: Yeah. And even more well, meaningless. I think,
1: was, I think the Thor story was regular length for a journey into mystery issue. Mm. So like short a few pages cause of the backup, but there was no backup.
0: Yeah. So we got pinups instead.
1: Yep. Um, June 16th. Do we have anything before June 16th? Episode 62. Astonishing Ditko. Go ahead.
0: Also Tim Price, now I got to do an impersonation. So Odin says, "Thor, I need you for battle." Donald Blake says, "Thor can't come to the phone right now. Please leave a message after the thunder, and I'll ne- and I'll send a goat with a reply ASAP." Oh bother, I hate these things. So, yeah, Thor, it's Dad. I've got big battle going on that I really need you for, and I don't like driving my chariot after dark nowadays. So call me back when you get this, okay? Okay? What do I do when I'm done? Just hang up or press one. Why do they make these so complicated? My ravens were so much easier. Beep. Yeah. That's what I thought of the, the Thor story. And that Thor completely wiping out slavery was, yeah. I do remember that story. It was pretty much just miscommunication the entire time. Um I agree that the X Men graduating was way earlier than I ever expected. Jean just arrived in issue number one. How does she graduate that fast with the standard preparatory program? How long was it between one and seven? I'll admit I don't get it. Well, we're not even sure where they were graduating either. Was it high school? Was it X Men school?
1: Yeah. It was I a year.
0: Know. It is a year. Whatever
1: whatever it was they graduated from, it was a year. I mean
0: she could Maybe have Maybe trend- brought high school I was gonna say the same thing you were just gonna say. Yeah, go ahead. She's going to transfer her junior credits over to her senior year at Xavier School, right?
1: Right. Yeah, that happens. And then she'll take a telekinetic calculus. <laughs> yeah. But
0: I also like Wanda in this issue SmackDown on Mastermind, saving Pietro, coloring her right on the cover. All good.
1: <laughs> She's no longer green. <laughs>
0: I wasn't planning on reading Tales to Astonish, but dang it, the Hulk story has sold me. Another one for my list. Thanks. Until the Hulk shrinks really small and fights a full size doppelganger, kinda, make my, make ours marvel. I think he means the abomination, and I think I've read that story.
1: I think we need to get Tim to write our zingers at the end.
0: Yeah, that would be easier. We should just <laughs> stop reading these out loud and just steal some of them.
1: Right. Um, okay, so next one is July 4th. Uh, uh, no, I have an email from July tw- June 28th.
0: I have June 27th called uh, Mailbag 2 by James Hawley.
1: I have a Mailbag 2 by James Hawley, but it's dated. Oh, because of our time zones. Okay. He sent it at midnight 30 my time, which is like 8.30 your time or, or 9.30.
0: 9.30, yeah.
1: Go so, ahead. Okay, James Hawley, make ours Marvel Mailbag 2. Slowly my waking my way through the series. I just listened to Mailbag 1. Not just kidding. It was Mailbag 2. You mentioned Nathan Lebensky. He was around for some of my favorite issues and storylines of Spider-Man. Uh, do you know Nathan Lebinsky, right? Uh
0: No. Maybe.
1: Okay. He, um, in the 80s, May ran a nursing home.
0: Oh, gosh. Okay.
1: And he was one of the residents there, and they ended up getting sweet on each other. And he uh, ended up getting killed in a supervillain fight. Um, I think... Well, he knew Electro. He and uh, he and Electro knew each other. Oh. Not Electro. Not Electro uh, the Vulture. He and the Vulture knew each other.
0: Okay. He said, uh, "This panel looks really familiar." I used to think you really cared about your aunt, Peter. Maybe I was wrong. Maybe I never knew the real you after all. And then he's wheeling away, and Peter's standing there, and there's a silhouette of Spider-Man crouching in the background behind a fire hydrant. Oh yeah, I remember that. So yeah, I guess I know. This okay. Guy.
1: Did you do a search or where's that? Yeah, I just Googled it real fast. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, Here's some of my favorite issues and storylines of Spider-Man. I think one of my favorites is the last Bronze Age issue of Amazing, which was Amazing Spider-Man 271, The Return of Crusher Hogan. It was a nice little issue, which I think is microcosm of Peter's superhero life.
0: So not to make it all about me, but I started reading Spider-Man with issue 270. So I totally remember The Return of Crusher Hogan because I didn't know who that was. And it was cool.
1: I'm trying to figure out why 271 is the end of the Bronze Age.
0: Well, that I don't know. That seems wrong. It's the '80s, definitely.
1: Um, Two seventy one was cover dated December nineteen eighty five. Yeah. So he's drawing the Bronze Age line as a hard line between eighty five and eighty six. Not that this appointed the, the email, but I would, I would um, say there's room for argument on that. But we'll talk about that another time. Uh, Aunt May asks Peter to follow Nathan because he's acting strange. Peter puts on the outfit, but ends up teaming up with Crusher. How is this not a Marvel team up joke? who is about to get beat up or... Oh, how is this not a Marvel team-up? Comma, joke, because he's just joking. Uh, Crusher is about to get beat up or killed. Meanwhile, Nathan is getting beat up and put into the hospital for old gambling debts. Peter still does not know this when he goes by Aunt May's house the next day. He's feeling good about the whole experience reuniting with Crusher the previous night. Aunt May opens the door, stating her disappointment in Peter not watching after Nathan last night and what happened to him. She shuts the door on our hero. I remember that.
0: And is that how he ends up in a wheelchair? I think that's what happens, right?
1: I think he was already wheelchair Okay. I could be wrong. I think he was a wheelchair user from his first appearance.
0: It's definitely a wheelchair in this dude involved, if I remember. Yeah.
1: Of course, Michael's favorite villain, the Vulture, kills yes. Nathan in the early 90s in the return of the Sinister Six storyline.
0: Wow, well, we haven't read any Vulture lately, for me to complain no.
1: about. No. He's... Yeah. I don't think he comes back until the a story way down the road. Wow. Um... Okay, Nathan Lebensky's death was in The Return of the Sinister Six, which came out in the, um, you know, for a while in the 90s, Marvel would do the thing where their most popular books would go bi-weekly over the summer. Mm-hmm. So for three months, you would get six issues instead of three. Mm-hmm. The Return of the Sinister Six was the first time that Marvel did that, and I started collecting right after that story. Okay. So uh, I did not realize at the time I started collecting that Nathan Lebensky's death was like, just happened.
0: The 90s, I may have been starting to phase out, so I don't know if I ever read that one.
1: It's like literally 1990.
0: Oh, okay. Um, Maybe I didn't. Whenever whenever Cardiac shows up, I think was my last Spider-Man
1: oh, collecting Oh, so yeah, that was like late 90, early 91, because mm-hmm. he shows up pretty soon after I started collecting. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to say, enjoying the podcast so far, as I stated before, I collected, but it was mainly Spider-Man and the X-Men. I've been reading through some Marvel masterworks recently with Amazing Spider-Man. I think I just read issue 67. It's nice to hear what's happening in the other issues. Of course, on the other issues, I read most of the first appearances or first issues, but didn't go really much further. I know how much you guys like commies, so I'm going to drop the title of this book. Uh Uh-huh. A professor of mine wrote it, Commies, Cowboys, and Jungle Queens, Comic Books and America, 1945 to 1954. That's the one from the other email.
0: I was going to say, that's one of his homework assignments, down.
1: It, isn't, it was written by Professor Vine. It's not too long at all. I will look it up. Commies, Cowboys, and Jungle Queen.
0: And it is on Amazon for twelve twenty seven. so it's not some university thing you can't get. It's right there.
1: Sweet. Is it Kindle?
0: Uh, it's paperback. William Savage Thank Jr. You.
1: All right. Keep up the good work. I do enjoy hearing about the Marvel Silver Age, even if it isn't all good. I will shut up now if, if you'll give me a no prize. Um,
0: no, that's not how that works. Mike does not no prizes. That's, not, that's <laughs> not how that works. I cry a <laughs>
1: Well, until Doc Ock's plan to inherit that nuclear plant from Aunt May works, make mine Marvel.
0: All right. Um, Pink was Moloids? The reason I tried to marry her. Pink Moloids. June 28th, Jim Morrissey? Yes. John Morrissey. I always try and make him like the singer of the Doors, but he's John Morrissey. Okay. Right. Greetings, gents. Ironically, in episode 64, you discuss those fans who think that they have a comprehensive knowledge of the Marvel Universe, but really don't. Like us, such as those who don't recall that Hank Pym had mental control over Janet's size or that Doctor Strange was initially Asian. Well, please add me to the list of fans who think they know it all but clearly do not. I was completely surprised to see that the Moloids in Fantastic Four number 31 were pink. Pink Moloids? I would have sworn a stack of Silver Age comics that they were always yellow, but here they are in their second appearance and they're pink. They are even pink on the issue's cover. Who knew?
1: Maybe they're secretly humanoids.
0: Yeah, maybe the leader uh, stole his ideas from the moloids or something.
1: Maybe the mole man teamed up with the leader behind our backs.
0: Just out of curiosity, I checked their next few appearances, Avengers 12, 17, FF Annual 3, and they are back to being yellow, although they are two shades of yellow in the FF Annual. I guess FF number 31 was their only pink appearance, but clearly, I don't know. I don't know either.
1: Yeah, I don't either. Until uh, I-, I would, I would... I would swear on a stack of Silver Age comics that they forgot the color of the Moloids in issue 31.
0: Yeah, I would have guessed they were always yellow, too, but I i don't know. I didn't notice they were pink for some reason. Um, until everyone at Atlantis turns pink for an issue and I don't notice, make ours marvel. Well, I don't think that's happened, but I didn't notice this either, so maybe it has happened.
1: <laughs> maybe it has. Uh, okay, we got July 9th of the email, but I have a July 4th comment, so. Yep. Go for it. Episode 64 Aunt May's Dying Again. Well, the, oh, this is Tim Price. Hello, Tim. Well, the Green Goblin had some wonky weapons. I'm, oh, dude, somebody posted a picture on Twitter of the spread of his weapons from that first Green Goblin story. Uh-huh. And he said, Lucky Charms was weird in the 1960s. <laughs> And I showed that to Lily and she had the astuteness to point out that what makes it even funnier is that blue moons are an actual lucky charm. And they're in that picture. Wow.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that was a wonky spread he started out with. I'm really glad they narrowed it down to just a couple (laughs) cool things.
1: I'm familiar with the variations used by the hobgoblin much later, which do have some parallels here, like the bats and ghosts. But that frog, (sighs) uh, creepy, which maybe was the point of his weapons after all. The only thing I really care about with the, with the Green Goblin is pumpkin bombs. I mean, yeah,
0: but I kind of feel like I bet you there's some goblin lore that involves frogs and, you know, other weird slimy creatures and stuff. So that's probably what they were trying for. Probably. And then it just wasn't cool.
1: In two appearances of the Goblin, there's been a guest star as well. First the Hulk and now the Torch. Question for you guys. Does this actually help establish that the Goblin is too much for Spider-Man to handle alone or trying too hard to make it seem that way? Or just a coincidence to have guest stars. I had not even thought about that. Mm. I've read those two issues 57 times and I had never connected the fact that he has a a guest in both fights.
0: You know, I didn't get that impression. But now that you say that and the fact that we just read a story arc where when they had a straight up fight, Green Goblin won.
1: Yeah. I don't know. 23 and the 26, 27 two-parter. Green Green Goblin gets away at the end of both of those.
0: But he also knocks Spider-Man out and wraps him up and takes him in for a trophy. Yeah, that's true. So maybe he is. Maybe he is. I don't know.
1: And the next time we see him, he's definitely going to win, at least at first.
0: Or maybe they were just coming up with ways for Spider-Man not to defeat the Green Goblin because they wanted him to stay a mystery and around. So get Human Torch or the Hulk to get in the way and ruin things and let him escape or something.
1: Or it's coincidence. (laughs) Tim continues. Another question: How do you blind someone whose eyes are covered in flames? Wow, that's a good question. Very good I question. I do not know. I don't know either. Oh, that kooky Kang! That was an inspired observation that his costume is modeled after diving outfits. I would never have thought of that. Well done. I, I, I imagine that sometimes artists are just sitting there looking around their office for inspiration, and they, and you know, like Kirby saw a diving. I was like, huh. I could turn that into a superhero costume yeah, or supervillain costume. Absolutely. On the one hand, I kind of liked the crazy bonkers plan of the Mole Man in FF31. Bite your tongue. On the other, this was...
0: (laughs) (laughs) I don't even remember what the plan was, but I know it wasn't good. Go ahead.
1: (laughs) I I think it was another pull the city's down plan. Uh Uh-huh. On the other, this was simply atrocious handling of Sue and probably right that they completely forgot about her force field. Same old pattern you have noted before. She only does what Reed tells her to, no agency at all.
0: Well, she did a lot better this last issue. Uh, and by last yeah. issue, I mean yeah, she's the doing, issue she's doing better.
1: we haven't covered because it hasn't come out
0: yet because wibbly wobbly timey wimey. But yeah, she's doing better is my point. Yeah.
1: Because uh, we're up to 42 as we as we record this. Mm-hmm. 42, has not, our coverage has not come out yet. Um, I'm also noticing Kirby's artwork evolving. It is starting to resemble what we will see in FF 48 through 50, which in my mind is Kirby's peak FF. It's not there yet, but getting closer. Very excited to see when that happens. Until Kang meets a frog-faced version of himself, make mine, make ours Marvel.
0: Boy, if he peaks at forty-eight through fifty, like I think he's already doing pretty good, and we're like you said at forty-three, and we've been enjoying the last at least forty-two, five, at least the last three, to yeah. three or five issues. So it's just going to get even better. Wow,
1: uh, good stuff. Good stuff.
0: I have July 9th by Shane Anderson. All right. Uh, Daredevil and blind superheroes. Hi, guys. I've just discovered and have been listening to your show and had a comment about episode 48 and the discussion about the thought process behind making Daredevil blind while giving him senses that let him, quote-unquote, see. You were wondering about the origin, and I wonder if there's any connection to Dr. Midnight from D.C., a Golden Age hero associated with the JSA. Dr. Midnight was Charles McNider, physician who lost his sight due to criminals who found that he could still see, only in total darkness. He created special lenses to allow him to function in daylight and used blackout bombs to create clouds of smoke in which he could see, but the villains could not. A street-level superhero who is blind in his civilian and professional life, who has special abilities that compensate for his loss of sight, allowing him to function as, as a vigilante. That could describe both Dr. Midnight and Daredevil. Was stand familiar with the character, I've often wondered. And, this is me adding... Because I've already thought about this, and I think I've already posted it on Twitter for anybody who follows me. The one time I've posted something original instead of just a retweet, he was redheaded just to really throw it in there.
1: Really throw it in there.
0: Yeah. I mean, come on. That is interesting. I don't think I've ever read a Stan say, oh, yeah, it was all about Dr. Midnight. But, gee, there sure is a lot of similarities.
1: There really is. Um, I feel like the physicality of the characters are very, very different. Mm. But I could definitely see Stan looking or thinking about Dr. Midnight Adventures and trying to figure out a way to spin that idea.
0: Now, we've also been told, and I don't know who to give credit to for this, but someone blew our mind. Wasn't it? uh, uh, God, who was the co-creator? I forget his name all of a sudden. Submariner. Uh, uh, Bill Everett. Bill Everett. Was Bill Everett's daughter blind or somebody told us that or something like that? Or am I making that up?
1: um i feel like i've heard that but i can't i don't remember hearing it does that make sense
0: yeah i kind of feel the same way now that (laughs) i've said it out loud but i swear somebody said that to us so that could be another reason that they picked blind instead of you know deaf or some other um other way so that you know because blind kids don't read comics so at least as far as i know
1: so here here's a quick question about dr midnight though Mm -hmm. special lenses they give him total blackness. Mm-hmm. Is he just wearing pieces of cardboard over his eyes? I mean, it's just like, I just need something like to, to black out my vision so it's I can just, see in the black.
0: He just cuts out trash bags and lines of goggles with him.
1: Right. I mean, it's like you you want to be able to see, you want light to be able to pass through them to hit his eyeballs, but also give his eyeballs total darkness. And I don't think you could have both of those things.
0: <laughs> Are you saying comics don't make sense? Or that Golden Age comics saying, don't make sense? I'm just
1: saying, special lenses. Yeah. Uh, but I love there's an early All-Star Comics issue whenever that gets back in the 70s, and Dr. Igniter is flying the jet. It's just like, why are you letting the blind guy pilot?
0: That actually seems impossible, yeah, in a way, kind of. But I don't know. Like, would anybody let Daredevil drive? Probably not. I don't not.
1: know. It seems unlikely, to say the least. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, another one from July 9th. Where are the X-Men? Yep, go ahead. John Morrissey writes, Hello, happy hosts. I just finished enjoying episode 65, wherein you discussed, among other things, the fact that the X-Men were guest stars in Journey Into Mystery 109, even though they never appeared in a panel. Remember that one? Uh Uh-huh. Very strange. No, no, no. Strange Tales is the other one. Oh. As you mentioned, we saw the blast of Cyclops shooting into a panel and lots of ice left behind by Iceman, but no X-Men were drawn in the book. Their absence was so complete that even their statues were mentioned, but not shown. I loved your explanation for this, John. Thor couldn't afford their expensive licensing fees. <laughs> well,
0: <laughs> at this time, they were still acting like they were separate corporations and stuff. Remember? Right. So that could work
1: like their little jokes in the credits, how they're borrowing from on, you know, on loan from whatever. Mm-hmm. But seriously, I guess you're right. I guess this was a marketing ploy. Did they think that this made the X-Men so mysterious that a reader of Thor would feel compelled to race out and buy the latest issue of X-Men immediately? And if so, I wonder, did it work?
0: I don't know if it was a marketing ploy. I kind of think it was just a clever art choice. I don't know. I, I enjoyed the fact that we never saw them for some reason. Thought it was kind of it, funny.
1: It would if we if it was something along the lines of of what John is saying. It implies to me that maybe the artist was embarrassed by the costume designs. Because I mean, early X Men those costumes. I mean, they're classic, but they're not that interesting.
0: I think what would have been really cool is if they did the then did the X Men issue from the X Men's point of view, and we never see Thor. That would have been fun. <laughs>
1: Anyway, thanks again for another entertaining and educational episode. We all love you out here in podcast land. Thank you, John. We love your emails. Mm-hmm. So until the Purple Man teams up with the White Queen, the Red Raven, the Black Goliath, the Silver Surfer, the Blue Marvel, the Green Goblin, and Gold Balls.
0: <laughs> that never happened.
1: That's the best Super Sentai team
0: ever. Oh, my gosh. Can you, what's the title of that issue? <laughs> Rainbow. May, yep. Right? Yep.
1: Make ours Marvel. So, Yeah. Um, that's pretty great. I love that idea, actually. Also, Gold Balls is the best superhero i <laughs> <day> ever. <laughs> have you read any Gold Balls issues? I have not. Sorry. He's in. Uh, he's in Bendis's X Men. Of course, he is. He's an overweight. I want to say Hispanic dude. I could be wrong on that. Apologies. Um, who just shoots gold balls out of his body like projectile wise? He just makes gold balls appear, so they call them gold balls.
0: That's funny if you think about it. Like. Do they have any rules, these super teams, do they have any rules on appropriate superhero names or can anybody just call themselves whatever they want? And you know there's going to be some jerk who comes up with gold balls for himself just to be dumb. And everybody's like, "Uh, that's not kid appropriate for the X-Men.
1: Um, do you have the
0: next one? Episode 61? That's what I have, yes. Bobby Bermia, or Bermia or, you know, for as much as you guys... What? For as much as you guys pillory... The Sinister Six plan of going after Spider-Man one at a time. Isn't this the same plan that Bane used to break Batman's back? Just saying. And honestly, except for maybe the Vulture, I think every one of the villains that fought Spider-Man was more powerful than any of the Batman villains. Bane is somewhere around Craven in my book. But of course, Spider-Man is also far more of a handful than Batman.
1: So to me, here's the difference between those two. Okay. The Sinister Six wanted to stop Spider-Man. hmm And they thought the best way to stop him would be to go after him one at a time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Bane wanted to weaken Batman so that he could beat Batman easily. hmm So I think that like the motivation and the strategy and the goal is a little bit different there. If Dr. Octopus said, I want all of y'all to go out and fight Spider-Man so whenever he finally gets to me, I can beat him easily, that would be a different story than what we got in the book. hmm
0: Typhoid Mary also does the same strategy against Daredevil to great success. Now that I'm thinking about it.
1: Oh, I have not read that. Is that, that's Nesenti's run, right?
0: Yeah. All in the same issue. Just like Spider-Man only instead of Daredevil winning, he loses bad.
1: Oh, he does that sometimes. Yeah. In Inferno, he lost to a demon possessed vacuum cleaner.
0: Yeah, that happens though. You know, (laughs) that's why my dogs are scared of vacuum cleaners.
1: (laughs) I do not have dogs, but if I did, they would be scared of vacuums. The kitties think that the Roomba is an alien.
0: Uh Uh-huh. It is. Um, there's
1: something else I was going to say about Bane. Oh, yeah. So in Nightfall, Bane is all like, I'm going to beat the Batman. I'm going to fight the Batman. I broke the Batman. Mm-hmm. And yet, the only, only capital O N L Y reason that he was successful is because he wore Batman down until he was like a crust of a man. Batman couldn't even hold his two fists up when he faced Bane, and Bane, you know, broke his back. It's like a really, really cheap victory. I think that first story of nightfall with Bane really doesn't do a whole lot for Bane. It makes him look like a wuss.
0: There's also this element of Batman. That's all about like street cred and you know, you can't beat the Batman. You can't outthink the Batman, all that stuff. So in a way he's like beating him mentally and physically, and just totally with the bat, with the broken bat thing, like, you know, owning him and his mythology and his rule over Gotham versus, you know, Spider-Man is just, Spider-Man at this point I don't really think yeah. he's got the whole mythos going I guess that's true
1: um, you have Uncle Bobby B's next email
0: episode 66 yup Michael I think you're being a little hard on Peter really it's not so much that now that it's not so much that now that Peter's sad and at his lowest point that he decides to be nice to Betty isn't part of it also that specifically being spider-man has gotten in the way of his ability to be good boyfriend to Betty. But now that he's not Spider-Man, he can spend time with her? Okay, I guess I could see that argument, sure. But doesn't that mean he's not prioritizing her? I don't know.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Um, I was looking over the question again to make sure I get what he's asking.
0: Well, this was when Spider-Man was no more. Uh, I can't remember why. But he gave up being Spider-Man, one of four billion times. And now he wants Betty to return his phone calls. They going on dates and all this. And she's like, boy, you blown me off 6 million times. I'm not interested. And he's like, oh, I'm a chucks.
1: Oh yeah. I think this was after the whole, whenever he was done because of uh, his Aunt May mm-hmm. um, being in the hospital.
0: So I probably said yeah, something like, you know, he only wants her when he wants her. And the other argument is, well, now he has more time. I guess that's true.
1: I guess it is true. Also, now that he has more time, he has more time to sit and think about the fact that he doesn't have Betty. Yeah. I mean, he basically doing school and, Taking pictures and superheroing, you know, whenever he's busy with all that, he doesn't have a whole lot of time to think about the fact that Betty's mad at him, if she happens to be mad at him that day. Um, But now it's like, oh, I've got this whole month taking care of my aunt and I can't talk to my girlfriend.
0: Yeah. Uh, He goes on. I appreciate this arc a lot more this time around, John. I don't know that it's better than the master planner story. That moment under the machinery alone is just so iconic. But this storyline is much more entertaining than I remember and funny. So much is made of who created what, it's really overshadowed just how much Lee contributed. Ditko may have plotted the story out, but Lee's dialogue really makes it sing. In the previous issue, when Peter said he'd better shove off before the torch gets elected president, it's hilarious. And then when Johnny offers him the unsolicited autograph and Peter's like, what do you want me to do with this? Sleep with it under my pillow? That's vintage stuff right there. Lee at his best.
1: Stan Lee, when he's on his game, is... Really, truly, a great comic writer. There's also some really atrocious stuff out there that we've read <laughs> that he's dialogued. But you know,
0: yeah, he's also good with Spider-Man's voice, though, or Peter Parker's voice, whoever you want to attribute it to. In terms of that, right. uh, in terms of that, um, what do they call it? Bantering. That's very Stanley invention.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as the Master Planner versus the Quitting trilogy, I mean, obviously, it's whoever likes Switch one more is fine. I'm curious to see what my thoughts are on the master planner whenever we go through it again and are dissecting it for the uh, podcast. Um, I do agree that the big rubble scene is is a really big important Spider-Man moment, but like one moment does not make a three part trilogy. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we'll have to see how it goes. It for me, it, it's a similar parallel to Star Trek: The Next Generation versus Star Trek: Deep Space Nine. To my mind, Star Trek: Deep Space Nine is a fantastic series and as a whole i take it above the next generation however the high points of the next generation are the highest things that all of star trek has to offer so it's like star trek next generation has better moments definitely but i prefer the deep space nine series as a whole
0: i always say deep space nine is the better story but tng is my favorite
1: (laughs) just because Mm,
0: that was that was the highlight of star trek when i was growing up at first anyway you know, it's yeah,
1: certainly the highlight of its uh, popularity.
0: <laughs> Definitely for that. Yeah. I mean, the whole world was watching it. It was kind of crazy. Uh, okay. Did I- my next? Yeah. You're next, I think. I'm losing track.
1: Okay. So I have a uh, comment from Dale M. I'm going to go with Houstman. What date? Episode 67, The Sentinel of the Yes. Army. Yes. That's it. July 19th. He says, I am 69 years wrecked. <laughs> mm. Okay. <laughs> and I was catching up with your terrific podcast on my childhood. That's what this is about, right? Yeah.
0: That's why we're doing it.
1: I love this already. Other brave decrepits have most likely spoken up from their oxygen tents by now. Damn. But I will gladly admit I was an avid absorber of all things comics when I was a wee little bastard. At the time Marvel ignited, my dad had been stationed at a military base in Germany. So that's where I encountered all these issues you are bravely foraging through. At any rate, just thought you would like to know that you do indeed have listeners who are planning their funerals. (laughs) Thanks for a great listen. Well, well, Dale, I'm so glad you spoke up. Yeah, <laughs> um, the self deprecation is is very humorous, um, and wow, they. So I know that Marvel and DC and probably other companies sent batches of comics to soldiers overseas. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's what he's talking about. That's how he got his.
0: I was thinking it's kind. Of, I'm kind of surprised he got stuff in Germany, but yeah. Uh, um, I'm wondering... Wait, maybe I read that wrong. At the time, uh, Marvel ignited my dad... Oh, his dad was in Germany, so it doesn't mean he was. Duh.
1: Well, I think that's what—that's that, the way I took it. That he oh, was in, it does um, say
0: that's where I encountered all these issues, huh?
1: How'd that work? Hmm. I don't know. I guess it was the overseas shipments. But why would he be with his dad?
0: Oh, boy, I just lost my voice. Anyway, why would he be with his father in Germany? Oh, you're right. That's weird, right? Yeah. Oh, my God. Is he a mascot? Are you Bucky Barnes, Dale? Did we finally... Find a real life World War II mascot because I've always wondered if that was a real thing. Um, but anyway, no, you are not correct. Many brave decrepids have not reached out to tell us about their, uh, you know, original run history with Marvel. I wish more would because I'd really like to hear their thoughts on what this stuff was going on at the time. I'd like to hear your thoughts about what what was going on in time with this stuff as far as you know what you thought about marvel as you were encountering it did you already read dc did you read both was there a difference to you did it matter was it all just comics or was marvel really like standing out in the 60s that's the kind of stuff i want to hear about but mostly Mm -hmm. we seem to have young people writing in which i guess makes sense because it's a podcast and all but right yeah if you read this stuff back in the day please let us know i want to know
1: yeah mike and i are both in our 40s we're both gray or going gray and um i feel like the vast majority of our listenership is either our age or younger. Mm -hmm. I don't feel like we have a whole lot of listeners who are older, you know, significantly than we are. Yeah. So yeah. all y'all out there who are, who are, um, you know, as, as Dale phrases it, planning your funerals. Yeah. (laughs) Let us know what your thoughts are. Um, Color purple, July 20th.
0: All right. Tim price. Dang. Purple man was horrible from the very beginning. I assume he means bad, not horrible. Like, or I assume he means evil not bad but yeah
1: like a bad person the the
0: seeds for what he'd become later were sown all along pretty wild in hindsight the first thing i'd seen him in was much later wearing a real costume not simply purple clothes so i accepted him more as a typical supervillain. but from this appearance he's much more insidious than that thor versus magneto more proof that marvel did all the coolest matchups early showing that magneto has just a one note train of thought you must be a mutant join me He just did this with Namor. Does he remember how that turned out? Of course not. But I got to give credit that Mags could go toe-to-toe with Thor before his later power boosts, and it's hilarious that the X-Men are in the issue but don't appear in the issue. Is that a favor to the collectors or a slight? What do you think? Well, if I was an X-Men collector, I'd buy that book, but that's just me because they're in it. Me too. Even though they're not in it.
1: Uh, In Magneto, it's a Magneto appearance, so I feel like that's... True. X-Men Tangent.
0: True. But if you index that book, would you say they were in it? Ooh, that's interesting. I don't know about that one. All right.
1: Well, you know, that they are, they are actively in the story. We just can't see them. Uh-huh. It's like my wife is in the house right now. I just She's not in the room I'm in. You yeah, know?
0: I'd throw them in there. Maybe just put a note that, you know, you don't actually see them or something. Um, mm-hmm. Until the purple man breaks the fourth wall, make mine, make ours Marvel. Does that happen?
1: I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know either. But Tim's have Tim, most of Tim's have been referenced as actual stories. So Mm -hmm. now I'm curious.
0: Maybe purple man was in Deadpool and they competed over fourth wall dominancy or something.
1: Maybe he painted the fourth wall purple and could see through it. Oh,
0: I hope he can't see us. He's scary. Yeah. He is very scary.
1: Um, another Tim price one episode 66. I've come to bargain. Yep. Amazing. Spider-Man 18 was completely crazy town. There's been plenty of offbeat issues of Spider-Man over the years, but doing one back in the 60s is dumbfounding. It breaks all sorts of rules for a superhero comic, but it works. For those who don't remember, Amazing Spider-Man 18 is the one where he's out of costume for the entire comic. Wow. Um, He, I think he suits up once when he sees Sandman running around town, but he's like, oh, wait a second. I can't fight the Sandman. If anything happens to me, Aunt May could die. And he goes and hides, throws away his costume, and then puts it on again the very last page. I kept waiting for Michael to mention Peter's trying to make money off of being Spider-Man again. Did I miss it? If not, you bet your sweet Bippy he was. And yet he also didn't have fall into the cliche of with my powers, I could just steal the medicine for Aunt May, which more recent comics would do. It really made me glad not to see that for Peter's sake. That would have been a real low. So it's a good thing that Stan and Steve didn't go there.
0: I guess I don't remember. I I don't think. I must not have. But uh, yeah, he did. I feel like... Sort of.
1: I feel like the idea occurring to him wouldn't be a bad thing.
0: Of stealing? Of that he could just steal it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everybody has ideas. doesn't mean you have to act on
1: them. Yeah, because I feel like...
0: We are privy to thought bubbles. So really, those bubbles should be a lot nastier sometimes, if you think about it.
1: Right, right. He's thought about breaking Flash in half. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, back in the very first issue, I think it was, he thought about terrorizing the town and getting money. Mm Mm-hmm. Um... So yeah, I feel like having that thought balloon, if even for a second, wouldn't tarnish the character. We all have ideas of doing things that we shouldn't do, and then we reject those ideas if we remain our you know human. Mm -hmm. But you know. Oh, about Mary Jane. I know there's been some retconning since these early issues, but my narrative is that MJ is not that keen to meet Peter either. Anna, you'll love Peter. He's very sweet smart and has a great personality, MJ. Great personality? Oh lord no. Oh gosh, Aunt Anna. Uh I don't feel so well. Yeah, that's it. I'm uh too sick to go out. Right.
0: Well That's actually she, not too
1: far off the mark.
0: If she's so epically beautiful that both Betty and Liz like are open faced when they see her and actually mm-hmm. even almost unite in their hatred for somebody else, then I can imagine she doesn't really need to be set up and Aunt Anna is probably just annoying.
1: Right. I mean she's she's in high school, right? Mhm. Mm-hmm. Cuz she's Peter's age. So she probably doesn't need to be set up. Um but Anna probably is trying to get her married off to some Oh, oh maybe Anna doesn't approve of her dating choices.
0: Does she go to Peter's school? No. Okay. Cuz I was going to say no, you you she- think Flash would have hit on her by now or something.
1: She doesn't actually live with Anna Watson. She comes and visits. I see. She has a mom and a sister. Okay. Um, But yeah, according to Parallel Lives, or uh, the issue of Amazing Spider-Man, Mary Jane kind of lays out her life story after revealing to Peter that she knows he's Spider-Man, which is during the Black Saga, Aliens Costume Saga, um, she does talk about how she knew Peter was Spider-Man and she would fake headaches because... She was scared slash nervous about oh. dating Spider Man.
0: Oh well, that's a whole different context, but yeah, yeah. that makes sense.
1: Um, but also, it could be a combination of things. You know, mm-hmm. she might actually not want to meet Peter. All right, what's next? I have James, July twenty second. I have
0: uh, Blizzard, James, yes. James Holly. I'm still trying to get caught up. The time slot I was using to listen to you guys, I have lost. Oh no, get it back. I just want to let you know you are still doing a great job. Thank you. You guys just mentioned the villain Jack Frost, a.k.a. the Blizzard. I remember his death in Amazing Spider-Man Annual number 20. Iron Man 2020 had no time for the guy. And by Iron Man 2020, we now just mean Iron Man, right? (laughs) Anyway, again, I'm trying Uh, to... Yeah? I
1: was just going to say that, like... Couple of things about Iron Man 2020. Mm-hmm. One, Dan Slott is currently writing Iron Man and he definitely has plans for Iron Man 2020. So they're going to do some story this year. I don't know what. Um, over at Return to Cybertron, a Transformers UK podcast, mm-hmm. in the Machine Man stories that are in the backups, turns out that is where Iron Man 2020 had his first appearance. What? And I just, yeah, I am. Actually, in the, in the recordings I'm doing, which are still in the future for episode releases, uh, we have seen Arlo Starks' first appearance in Marvel. I mean, it's a reprint of that first appearance, but it's a reprint only like a few months or a year down the road. So it was, it was a yeah, it was a Machine Man story. I just found it in.
0: interesting that Iron Man 2020 looked less technologically advanced than Iron Man somehow, because <laughs> <laughs> he had these big like. You know, sprockets on his shoulders, right? and like he looked like steampunk Iron Man or something. It's weird. It
1: kind of fits the aesthetic that they're going with in the future that Machine Man's in during that series. But uh, yeah, it is. Yeah, it, it is a little bit weird.
0: Anyway, all right. He finishes with again. I am trying to get caught up. I am joining them. Great job. I will go now. I just wanted to add that side note. Thank you, James.
1: Thank you. Um, let's see. That puts August first in the email. Oh no, that's a that's not an email email. That's a junk email.
0: I have a July 26th from Dale Huseman. I oh. think it's a comment. Oh, never mind. This is a replica of what you already read. That's weird. Oh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Skip that one. There is a
1: comment from the 27th from Tim Price. You want to read that one?
0: Uh, Okay. It's called Make Our's Marvel Mailbag 5. Just listen yes. to the mailbag episode. Couple of things. My daughters are twins. Simple as that. No need to try for a no prize. Well, I wish I knew what you were talking about. I won't give it away, but here's a hint about when it's revealed Magneto is Wanda and Pietro's father. It's before West Coast Avengers. Okay. We're almost there. Oh,
1: We're,
0: be- we're-, we're before the West <laughs> Coast Avengers right now. So
1: perfect. There's a big gap between <laughs> almost there and West Coast Avengers. <laughs> well, he just
0: said before. I don't know when before.
1: Uh, okay.
0: S- stop making jokes in the emails, Tim. You could tell their jokes, question mark. Awesome. There's no way I'm stopping now. Until Willie <laughs> Lumpkin starts dating Aunt May. Make mine, make ours Marvel.
1: Were you there in Spider-Man for that? Huh? Willie Lumpkin and Aunt May?
0: Uh I know they dated, but I don't I didn't I've never read it, no. She's dated yeah. everybody old.
1: Yeah, she was Galactus's Herald once, so. She did. <laughs> right. She was. I know. Okay. Um So next one is Not Comic Special 15, July 27th. Yep. Tim says, I've seen Far From Home twice, once with my daughters, and I was glad they both left off raving. They both left raving about the movie. The teenage characters and their portrayal rang very true to my girls, making a lot of the fun. Same here. That was my experience as well. Flash being a jerk, but getting a hint why he's a jerk and sympathizing at the end and his believable fanboy attitude to Spider-Man. He's just saying cool things. (laughs) Ned and Betty were almost the cutest couple ever.
0: Almost. They almost were. And then they got awkward.
1: Yeah. Peter and MJ were the cutest couple ever. Your analysis of MJ and how she relates to the comic book version was spot on. Happy Hogan isn't the only person in love with Aunt Aunt May. Sigh. Wait. Was there someone else in love with Aunt May? All of us. Oh, yeah. That's true. Yeah. That's what he's saying there. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: We all are.
1: Oh, so Aunt Tomei was not a typo uh typo okay marissa okay clever too clever for me i did realize a big difference between homecoming and far from home in homecoming peter is anxious to get a mission and be an avenger because he's gotten a taste of it from civil war and really wants to impress tony in far from home peter wants to step back a little and have some normal life experiences definitely because tony died and he feels survivor's guilt but also because peter was thanos snapped. And really experienced dying, but brought back in the blip, giving him a second chance that he doesn't want to waste. So we have a real contrast. Wanting to be an Avenger, but staying friendly neighborhood. Now, does anyone have questions about the neighborhood and being Nick Fury's? Yeah, that's that's some good like parallelism. Not parallelism, but like symmetry.
0: Yeah, they kinda tapped into him actually having like uh some sort of survivor syndrome. Like he was freaking out a little bit in the beginning. Right. But then they didn't really play that up if i recall so there were hints of like iron man 3 there where he's having panic attacks Mm -hmm. and you would think you know fighting thanos is a lot harder than fighting the shocker so i could see that
1: uh he finishes up with saying showing as always spider-man's greatest antagonist is himself love the podcast guys keep on making ours mcu
0: Mm. isn't everybody's greatest antagonist themselves i don't know probably (laughs) (laughs)
1: my my son is an artist and he is very very self-critical of his art
0: that means he's going to be a good one though never be happy keep pushing the day he goes wow this is pretty perfect he's just not going to draw another one (laughs) probably uh i have sentinel liberty tim price july 27th yeah okay i do like avengers number nine but on the cover why is wasp's head so tiny i know she shrinks but it just looks ridiculous thor cap iron man wasp giant head i mean man i don't recall but i'll believe you
1: yeah on the cover of the wonder man issue they had heads across the top oh and um, giant man's was big and wasp was tiny well that's why come on anyway
0: for enchantress flirting with wonder man she just can't turn it off that's the only way she knows how to relate to men which is to say controlling them Seduce is one way boss around and insult i.e dominate is her other play and that's pretty much it When neither approach, she gets homicidal, Way just realizing she's essentially always playing the uh, Mary F. Kill game all the time. That's kind of true, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I still can't process Tony Stark having an Iron Man tracker in his car. I'm trying, but nope, I got nothing. Yeah, I couldn't figure that out either. See, I will give a no prize to somebody who can figure that one out, because that just makes no sense. That's how no prizes work, kids. All right. Right. Jarvis' first appearance. I was stunned. I don't even think he appears in the Avengers title for a while yet, and even longer before his name is mentioned in that title. But he's here in Tales of Suspense. All right. Between caps half of the book and Jarvis, now I have to read Tales of Suspense from my reading list. Dang it. Um, Usually. I know. Well, you should be reading Tales of Suspense. That's good stuff. Usually, I'm pretty forgiving of Reed, but not in this issue. He doesn't tell the team who the Invincible invincible man is just becomes senior bossy pants maximus because i'm leader so there convinces the scrolls to exchange super scroll for Sue's and johnny's dad and when dr storm comes back and promptly blows up i suspected as much well if he did suspect that why didn't you come up with a plan that wouldn't kill your girlfriend's father and if he didn't really suspect it (laughs) then he's just trying to sound like mr sparty fantastics when he screwed up ugh Yeah, Reed's the worst, isn't he? I kind of feel bad that I feel like Reed's the worst, but it's not my fault. He's kind of the worst. Uh, So since the scrolls can grab any human off Earth from the fifth quadrant of Andromeda that makes alien abductions real, I will never have a moment's peace again. I'm with you there. Yeah. I know I was ragging on them, but these were fun issues to read. Until the Invincible Man returns, this time as a disguise for D.D., make mine, make ours Marvel. Wow, really?
1: Um. The Oh yeah, because he's he does come back, but he's not the Super Scroll. Okay. There's somebody else who takes up that costume and look or that's what I was told by somebody on the Twitter.
0: Um I have can't touch this July twenty eighth, which is your turn. Uh, char-
1: yeah, I think so. I was trying to find on Twitter oh. Um Scott Edelman uh-huh. has been a really great supporter of the show. Yes, very. And back when we did the annuals, he posted some stuff about the, um, the Marvel tales annual, and I'm trying to find those tweets because I think he said some really cool stuff and I was going to share it, but I just haven't been able to find them yet. Um, I'm doing a search right now and they're just not coming up, but anyways. Okay. Well, I was just um, going to
0: suggest this is our last of our July 20 or July. Mm-hmm. Do you want to,
1: it might be a good place to, to cut it off for this one. I
0: feel like my voice is completely going, so I don't know if I could do another month.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. And it's been over an hour anyway. So, okay. Yeah. So we are on
0: episode 68. Can't touch this. Can't touch this.
1: Yep. There it is. X-Men. This is from Tim price. Hello, Tim. Again, <laughs> <laughs> a lot from Tim, which, which makes us happy because we're getting like lots of feedback and stuff. And Tim, Tim does good comments. Um, X-Men number eight. My head Canon is now that Unus was actually given the name. Oh, that Eunice, Unus, you Was actually given the name Eunice, E-U-N-I-C-E, but started spelling it differently when he got teased by kids on the playground, showing that he is definitely a big-time genius.
0: Yup. I don't think Eunice is better than Eunice, though. Eunice.
1: That's why he's a big-time genius. Oh, I see. I get
0: it. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Iceman actually turning into ice was a revelation. I bet we'll see that changes soon, but I also always thought it was an ice coating. I think the Marvel superheroes role playing game books back that up. But I like think he's finally getting his classic icy look. It's cool. Get it? Cool. <laughs> also, Spider-Man
0: and His Amazing Friends, come on. That iconic that iconic yeah. Iceman change, that's totally a coating. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Xavier spelunking in a wheelchair. That can't be safe, can it?
0: It does <laughs> he seem... He just couldn't... It seems a little odd.
1: He couldn't wait for his awesome 90s action chair. Trademark. That yellow, like, one-man car that he drives around. Yeah,
0: that was not yeah. awesome.
1: Oh, you speculated this is the first mutant-hating mob, but there was the Toad competing in oh. a track and field event, and the X-Men rescued him from a mob then. So I think that was
0: first. You're right. That was first. But that was a villain, and we didn't care as much. Yeah. But it's true.
1: And... I wonder, he was competing in a sporting event
0: uh-huh. and
1: using mutant powers to do it. Uh-huh. I'd have to go back and see exactly the scripting of the scene. But I could, I could see that as being not hating that he's a mutant, but hating that he's- A cheater. A, yeah, a cheater, taking unfair advantage mm-hmm. of his mutants. I don't know. I, I, I don't remember how specifically it was written.
0: I mean, Hank was being a hero and saving somebody, and then they turned on him. So that's- Right, like right. Nastier.
1: It also does seem like the public doesn't know that the X-Men are mutants, but does consider them a hero team. Wonder how long till that changes.
0: I've wondered that a, as well. It's probably it's a good true. Point. Yep.
1: They know what X-Men are, but they don't know that they're mutants.
0: They seem to still like the X-Men whenever they're suited up.
1: Right, right. Thor number 110. So, Loki's whole plan to keep Thor from punching him is basically, I'm not touching you! Gah. Does being a jerk count as mischief? Because if so, Loki is on point. And now he's boosting the powers of supervillains. Has he given a normal human superpowers? Yeah.
0: Yeah. He gave that that card guy at the carnival way awesome powers.
1: Remember? And he's going to give Absorbing Man superpowers. Yeah,
0: and that. There you go.
1: Tales with Sonic 62. You know what I do when some guy steals my clothes and I take them back? I wash them <laughs> right away. I do not put them on. Looking at you, Hank. Ew. Does that happen often, <laughs> Tim? <laughs>
0: Interesting. Yeah. Interesting life.
1: It's an interesting hard rule that you've chosen for maybe yourself. Maybe get
0: a lock for the locker at your gym. <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> Although I mean he's not wrong. If somebody stole my clothes oh, and yeah. gave them back to me, I I, I would wash them too. Yeah. Unless they're like neatly folded and smell like fabric softener, then yeah. I would trust that he has washed them. True. Um the follower LOL thanks for that. Was that a I don't know. Was that a leader joke? Oh. 62. Oh, maybe. Did you catch Rick calling Betty Miss Brant on page three of the story? Whoops. I don't think you're going to have too many Bettys, so it's okay. And I'm enjoying Ditko on the Hulk. It's pretty great. I do remember the whole Miss Brant bit. I just, we didn't comment on it for whatever reason. Huh.
0: I guess I missed that.
1: Yeah, this is a sweet you know, one of those, you know, name errors mm-hmm. that Stan like did almost every month for a while. Until Hyde and Cobra up their game by taking on Daredevil. Wait, from Thor, Daredevil's an upgrade? Uh,
0: should be easier for them, you'd think.
1: You would think so. Make mine, make ours Marvel.
0: They also fight Good Captain America. Him. Oh, no. One of them does. Yes. Well, they both do separately, I think,
1: at right. some point. But that does bring us to the end of July. And I feel bad because I never found that um, tweet. From... Oh, wait, 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 wait. There it is. There it is. Yay, perfect. Okay. So, again, Scott Edelman, he was a Marvel writer in the 1970s. He starts in 1974, so he's joked with us about... How's it going to take us forever to get to his start, if we ever do. Um, he's been a very vocal supporter of the show. We super, super appreciate it, Scott. And we do still want to have you on the show sometime. We just haven't thought about it in a while. Um, he, whenever we did our coverage of the first Spider-Man annual and the second Fantastic Four annual, he tweeted another great episode, but I wish a little more time had been spent on Marvel tales. Number one, which was historically important. Even though it was a reprint book, it contained an important feature. Meet the gang in the Mary Marvel bullpen. The first time we would have seen those faces. Mm. And he posts uh, some images from that book where it has pictures of all the guys um mary marty goodman smiling stan lee joyful johnny hayes darlin dick ayers sparkling solly brodsky valiant vince coletta spunky stan g affable al hartley debonair don heck joyful jack keller jolly old jack kirby laughing larry lieber Jovial Joe Orlando, peerless Paul Reinman, sprightly Sam Rosen, adorable Artie Simic, cheerful Chick Stone, and now we present our ever-loving glamour department: fabulous Flo Steinberg, nifty Nancy Murphy, and dazzling Debbie Ackerman. And each of uh, a lot of them have uh, job titles underneath them. There is no appearance of Steve Ditko on those two pages. Oh, he is left off.
0: That's because he said, "Don't take my picture."
1: Probably. Steve Ditko did not like having his picture taken. Mm -hmm. He also says, I may be wrong, but I believe that though we saw members of the bullpen drawn into the comics, we didn't get any other photos of the staff again until 1966 on the inside cover of fantasy masterpieces. Number one. And that is a picture of Stanley sitting on a stool with like 17 word balloons, talking to the readers about the different stories that are going to be in fantasy masterpieces. Number one, fantasy masterpieces. Number one is a reprint book. Um, they called it Golden Age reprints, but it was literally printing stuff from, like, 1960. <laughs> Just, like, <laughs> okay, Strange Tales, Journey into Mystery, Tales to Astonish and Suspense, you know, short stories. That's a lot of what Fantasy Masterpieces was. Starting with Issue 3, they started throwing in Golden Age superhero stuff as well. So you did get, like, Captain America. And the big Torch-Namor fight was reprinted in Fantasy Masterpieces. Okay. Um, but... Mike and I have talked off. Mike, we're probably not going to cover that book. I have been reading it on the side, and I'm not getting nearly as much enjoyment out of reading Golden Age reprint stories as I thought I would be. Mm-hmm. So we're probably not going to cover. Although when it's it does eventually start doing in continuity Silver Age stuff, but then it changes its name to Marvel Superheroes. Mm. Um, Keep
0: moving forward. That's what we're doing.
1: That's what we're doing. But yeah, so. Uh, That was Scott's contribution on the, on the annuals. And I just wanted to make sure we included that because we didn't do it last mailbag because it was a June, tweet. And now we've done June. I want to make sure we included that.
0: And we've also got three new iTunes reviews, which we always appreciate. We got one on June 25th from Bill Dunleavy. It says Marvel comics beginnings. Awesome show that started at the beginning of the Marvel age, 1961, and is moving forward week by week. The two hosts are very enjoyable as they have distinct personalities and play off each other well, informative and fun. So thank you, Billy, for that one. We have Jeff Cottle on the 29th of June said, love it. This has become my favorite podcast and I I look forward to Friday morning so I can listen during my commute. Thank guys for the great entertainment. Awesome. And then July 27th. Very cool. July 27th. I always like when we can entertain commuters because I am also a commuter and I know that that's a hard thing to do sometimes. Uh, July 27th. Great podcast. Nuff said. New listener. Just recently came across this. Love it and have been going back and listening to past episodes. Love the Golden Age episode. So just to contradict us not talking about Golden Age stories, he liked the Golden Age episode. But thank you, JWC1138. Go ahead. Go ahead.
1: Well, those were three iTunes reviews we had not uh, read on the air yet. We really, really appreciate them. Mm -hmm. We don't push for iTunes reviews very much on here, but we definitely love them and appreciate them when they happen.
0: We've got 36 so far, and we have a 5.0 out of 5 rating. Not that I should say that out loud because then someone's just going to come in and make a 3 just for the heck of it. But I do think the more reviews you get, that somehow correlates to the higher up our search ranking happens. So if you want to
1: leave us an iTunes review, that would be awesome. It would be very, very awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, Michael's voice is about to go. <laughs> Can't you tell? So it, it just, just just in that last little little Ugh. bit we were saying, I was like, oh, sorry sound just a little bit croaky. Yep. So before his voice completely dies, we're gonna cut off the mailbag. Uh, we got to the end of July's feedback, and we really do want to do this once a month for a while. Mm-hmm. So we will come back in uh, February with some more of your emails. So do keep writing. Either commenting on the website, writing to us at makearsmarvel at gmail.com, or going to the website and clicking contact. And yeah, um, we don't have our usual outros here. So should we just say good night? (laughs) Good night. Thanks for writing in, everybody. And we will talk to you all soon.